You know, as, as we think about what God has done for us, is it not amazing? That even though we were sinners, God commended his love toward us. Sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die so that we might have everlasting life. And as we think about what God has done for us, we ought to want to live for him. That makes sense, does it not? I think we don't think about that sometimes, but as we consider what God has done for us, it should make us want to live for him. And the good news is God wants us to live victoriously. That's what Joshua's all about. In Joshua chapter one, we looked at Joshua who was taking over for Moses and he was a little bit nervous. Moses had done a fair job. I mean, he had been involved in the writing of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, the exodus, the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the provision of water, the provision of manna, the provision of quail, and so many other things. And now Joshua's taken over, and he's a little bit nervous. And that's why in chapter 1, God three times said, be strong and of good courage, because he needed encouragement. And God promised that he would experience victory. We have the same promise this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, 1 John 5, 4. So as we depend on God and his promises, then we can be victorious. Of course, in the process, we need to make sure that we are meditating on the word of God day and night so that we can observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then we'll make our way prosperous, then we will have good success. Well, one of the first things that Joshua did as he was getting the children of Israel ready to head into the promised land was send some spies to Jericho. We talked about this last week. And the two spies were hidden by Rahab when the authorities came looking for them. And, and Rahab trusted God. She believed that God was able and was going to do what he had promised. And so she acted on her faith and protected and hid the spies and sent them away. As a result, God protected her. God protected her life. When she put that scarlet cord out on the wall, uh, God saw to it that she was protected. Of course, that scarlet cord, for many, uh, it shows the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. It's because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross that we can experience everlasting life. Uh, because of that scarlet cord, so to speak, we can be saved. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about Israel and Israel's progress. Uh, we started talking about Joshua. We talked about Rahab. Now we're going to talk about Israel as well as, as uh, Joshua and the leadership, beginning in chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, verse number 1. This Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from Achaia Grove and came to the Jordan, the Jordan River, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people 
So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites and the Jebusites. If you think that's easy to read that verse, you ought to try it sometime. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come, be, come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest, that the waters which, were, which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan, so the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Look at chapter 4, verse number 10. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And, as, and the men of, of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh as well. It goes on to say in verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of their life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests by saying, come up for the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its bank as before. Goes on to say in verse number 24, that this happened, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. We thank you for your word. We just pray that as we look at it today, you'll speak to our hearts and help us to apply it to our own situations. We're grateful, Lord, for the fact that the word of God is your sword, the sword of the spirit. And we pray that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, as we look at the story, and I would encourage you to go ahead and read chapters three, four, and five this afternoon or in the next couple of days to, to get the whole story, so to speak. But as we look at this portion of scripture, the children of Israel are on the wrong side of the Jordan River. They're on the east side of the Jordan River, and they're supposed to be on the west side of the Jordan River in the promised land in Canaan. And the people have recognized that Moses had promised, God had promised through Moses the promised land. Uh, They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and here they were coming up to the Jordan River and all they had to do is cross the Jordan River. But crossing the Jordan River is not an easy matter when you don't have a bridge or when you don't have boats. And when you have about 1.5 million people, it's not an easy matter. But the Lord had a plan. The Lord communicated that plan to Moses, to Joshua, and as a result of following God's plan, they moved from where they were to where God wanted them to be. My guess is that for many of us, we're not where God wants us to be. We recognize it. We know that there are some areas of sin in our lives that we perhaps have not dealt with, some decisions that we need to make, uh, some steps that we need to take so that we can move from where we are to where God wants us to be. And I think that this portion of scripture gives us some principles that can help us to move in the right direction. The first three principles are things I pray for quite often. Number one is for wisdom. Wisdom to know what to do. Do you ever have situations where you're not sure what you need to be doing? What decision that you need to make? I think back when, when I went to college, I I, uh, wasn't sure exactly where to go to college. I I, I went ahead and applied for for several. I sort of wished I hadn't because I got accepted at all the different ones that I applied to. And so that didn't help a bit. And I I was not sure where to go to college. Sometimes the Bible does not clearly communicate with us what we need to do. But as we think, as we pray, as, as we read God's word, A lot of times God impresses on us which way he wants us to go. In fact, uh, Stephen Olford used to talk about three very important aspects of decision-making. Number one was the word of God. What does the Bible say? Sometimes the Bible does not speak directly. Like when when I thought about going to to college, uh, when when we think about who we're going to marry, the Bible does not always say you need to marry whoever it might be. Except for one, one guy named Jack Dean. I don't know if any of you knew Jack Dean. He was involved in the YMCA, had seven children, uh, became a good friend. He lost a finger in an accident one time. And when I was a little kid, he'd go, go like that. And, um, and we would try to find his finger and we couldn't do it. It's, it's sort of a situation where he was a funny guy, fun guy. But he talks about the fact that he was reading the Bible and it said, thou shalt have joy in the morning. He knew a girl named Joy, and that's who he married, Joy Dean. But the the reality is sometimes the Bible does not speak clearly, and that's why it's important for us not only to have the Word of God, but as Stephen Olford would say, the witness of the Spirit. In other words, when we are making a decision, we trust God to give us peace in regard to where we need to go or what we need to do. Let the peace of God rule in your heart, Colossians 3.15. So we pray about it and depend on God to give us peace. 
And then the third thing is the warrant of circumstances. Stephen Olford alliterated just like I do, or maybe I should put it like this. I alliterate like Stephen Olford did. He was a tremendous preacher. Uh, warrant of circumstances has to do with pros and cons. It has to do with, uh, with the counsel of others and things of that nature. When these three things line up, the word of God, the witness of the spirit, and the warrant of circumstances, then we can feel like this is probably where God wants us to go. And what I do when these three things line up is I say, Lord, seems to me this is the direction you want me to take. If it's not, please block the way. Please close the door. So I move in that direction and trust God to guide and direct step by step. One of the things that that somebody gave me one time was a lamp from Israel. It's a real small lamp that, that had oil and a little wick. And I, I came to the realization that when it says in Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the lamps they had back then did not show, they're not like the flashlights we have today. I mean, some of the flashlights we have today, you can shine in the top of a tree and you can see a possum or, or whatever it might be. These lamps, they gave you light for the next couple of steps. And when it comes to living the Christian life so often, is it not a step at a time? It's a matter of us just moving in the direction that God wants us to. We look at God's word, we consider as we pray the, the witness of the spirit. Do we have peace and the warrant of circumstances? What are the pros and cons? What, what is the counsel of others and so on? And then we move in that direction. Well, back in this day, they had an advantage because uh, God often spoke to them verbally. Have you had God speak to you verbally? Don't, don't raise your hand necessarily. But my guess is that most of us have not had God speak to us audibly. Uh, we, we have felt impressed by God. We have felt that he spoke to us through his word and so on. But back then, a lot of times God spoke audibly. And he spoke to Joshua and he said, this is what you need to do. Wouldn't that be nice to have that happen sometime? When we're trying to make a decision, God speak to us audibly and saying, this is what you need to do. And that's what he had. And that's, that's one of the ways that he got wisdom. Wisdom is, is knowing what we ought to do. I would say that the primary source of wisdom for us, uh, we, we need to think about the counsel of others. We need to look at the the do's and the, the, the pros and the cons and so on. We, we, we need to, to pray about it, but primarily we look at God's word and see what God's word has to say. And quite often God's word is clear. And when we look at it, he tells us what to do. We know that all scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. So we need wisdom. How many of you need wisdom? When, when you think about your life, I think most of us recognize our need for wisdom. And of course, God's word says, if we lack wisdom, James 1, 5, we need to ask of God and he will give it to us. And we need to ask in faith. So number one is a need for wisdom. Number two is a need for courage. So Joshua listened to God. God said, this is what you need to do. And then Joshua had to choose. He had to choose whether he was going to do what God wanted him to do or not. We have the same scenario so often in our lives. Uh, we feel like God is speaking to us and wanting us to do a certain thing. The question is, are we going to choose to obey or are we not going to choose to obey? And sometimes we do not choose to obey because of fear. It might be a fear of rejection. It might be a fear of failure. It might be something of that nature. But, but God says witness, and we think to ourselves, I don't want to witness because they might ask me a hard question. 
or I don't want to witness because they might make fun of me. But instead of failing to act because of fear, we need to choose to act on what God wants us to do through courage. Now think about this situation. We have 1.5 million people or so, that's just an estimate, that are waiting on, on the wrong side of the Jordan River to cross the Jordan River and go to the other side of the river. And God says, Joshua, you need to tell the priest to pick up the ark, take the ark to the river, put their feet in the river, and then the river will dry up real quickly and y'all will be able to all cross the river. If God told you something like that, what would your perspective be? Now, the Jordan River is not as wide as, as the Catawba River. If we went over to the bridge and, and, and we put our feet in the water, trusting God to cause the, the water to, to, to build up upstream so that we could walk over on dry ground, um, it, it, we would have to walk a little further on the Catawba River than we would on the Jordan River. But it was still a significant river. So think about this for just a minute. If Joshua told the, the priest to do that, to carry the ark, they put their feet in the water, God had told him and he had told the people what was going to happen. How about if it didn't happen? How about if the water didn't build up, didn't stop flowing? Would that have been embarrassing? Would that have been difficult? Do you think Joshua might've think what if he might've thought, what if it doesn't work this time? Now, when, when we think about God's leadership, when we think about in, as individuals or as a church moving in a certain direction, sometimes we do not move because of a fear of failure. We don't wanna be embarrassed. We don't want a scenario to, for people to look at us and say, yeah, he was trusting God, but look what happened. He fell flat on his face. But I really do believe that we need to trust God to guide us and direct us and then we need to not only have the wisdom, but the courage to choose to take the steps that God wants us to take. This works in regard to individuals. It works in regard to couples. It works in regard to families. It works in regard to companies. It works in regard to churches. We need to be willing to try to understand what God wants us to do. And then we, we take the step. We take the plunge, so to speak. They plunge their feet into the water and God worked it out. Now, Joshua had an advantage. Joshua's advantage was that he saw it happen with the Red Sea. Y'all remember the story of the Red Sea? The Israelites were, were in, in a quandary. Uh, they had on this side the Red Sea, on the other side the Egyptian army coming after them. And God said to Moses, Pick out, stick out your staff and the waters will part. And that's exactly what he did. He stuck out his staff, the wind blew, the waters parted, the children of Israel walked across. There's some liberals that would say that the, the fact was that the water was shallow and that's how they were able to walk across. Uh, it's an even bigger miracle that the whole Egyptian army was drowned in that shallow water. I believe that God worked miraculously in regard to the Red Sea and that he did the same thing in regard to the Jordan River. God gave wisdom, God gave courage to choose to do it, and then he gave strength to do what it took. Does God give us the strength to do what it takes, so to speak? There are two verses I'd like to, to mention. One is Philippians 2.13. It says, God is the one who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is the one who works in you both to will, that's to choose, and to do of his good pleasure. If we think that we're doing it in our own strength, then, then we aren't very smart because Jesus said without him we could do 
nothing. But God works in us and helps us to want to do it, to choose to do it, and then to do his will. And then, of course, Philippians 4.13, most of us know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God gives us the strength to do what he wants us to do. So three needs that all of us have that are reflected in Joshua chapter three are number one, wisdom, number two, courage, and number three, strength. Wouldn't you agree with that? What was number one starts with a W? Number two, C? Number three, S? I, I make that a prayer quite often because I certainly need wisdom and courage and strength. And I would encourage you to pray and also to act on it as well. Trusting God to work as you, as you are willing to take that step of faith. One of the, the points that I thought I was gonna say was risk. In fact, um, risk taking is, is what he was doing, was it not? He was taking a risk when he told the, the priest to step into the water with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and, and what God did is he worked in a special way. And all of us have to take risk on occasion. If you're not willing to, to take a risk, if you're not willing to have the courage to step out, so to speak, then you're going to stay in the same place where you were. Uh, if, if Joshua did not depend on God for wisdom and courage and strength, then the children of Israel would have remained on the wrong side of the Jordan River. Does that make sense? We need to be depending on God for wisdom, courage, and strength. But let's move on for just a couple more minutes. We're tackling a lot of, of, of chapters, a lot of information today. Chapter four, verses one through 23, basically talks about remembering what God has done. Because, because what he says is when you're in the, 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 the priests are in the middle of the Jordan River holding the ark, what you need to do is get 12 men from the tribes of Israel, each one, one from a tribe of Israel. Get three, excuse me, get a, a big rock each and take them over to Gilgal put it down where we're gonna be lodging and, and make a big, big uh, monument there from those rocks. And then also in the Jordan River, build up a, a monument of 12 rocks as well. And basically he goes on to say in chapter four, eventually when your children or your children's children say, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them what happened. In other words, what we need to do is we need to do two things. Number one, remember what God has done. And then number two, recite what God has done. Isn't, isn't that true? That, that's exactly what we need to do. The children of Israel, as you read the Old Testament, time and time again, they recited what God had done uh, during the exodus, during the, the plagues, during the wilderness wanderings, and so on like that. They, they communicated with others how great God was. And we need to remember what God has done and then we need to recite it. We need to tell others as well. That's sort of what we do with the, the Lord's Supper, with communion. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are basically proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. We're, we're saying that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed so that we can have everlasting life. Uh, we need to, to communicate what God has done. Sharing testimonies is, is a great thing to do. We, we've, uh, we often did that on Sunday nights here at Catawba. We do it on Wednesday nights. We do it other times. I think it's neat when we in our life groups get together and we say, this is what God did this past week. This is what God is doing in my life now. We should remember 
and recite. We, we, should, we should appreciate what God has done and then tell it to others. Because notice what happened when they recited what God had done. Verse number 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. He wanted all the people to know how great God was. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we talked about it last week. Uh, we, we recognize that God does not choose people who are impressive usually. What he does is he chooses those of us who are weak, those of us who, who are, are, are not that, that smart. Uh, he chooses us to serve him and make a difference for him so that he can get the honor and glory. Even Moses, remember that he had a problem speaking well. And he, he, when he was called, he said, God, I, I just, I just, I don't, I just, I'm not good at speaking in public. I, I don't know if I can do this, but God used him anyway, as he was willing uh, for God to do so. We need to recognize that God wants to use us to make a difference in the lives of others. So God will be honored and glorified. Chapter five, verse number one. So it was when all the Kings of the Amorites who were on the West side of the Jordan and all of the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. In other words, they had heard what God had done and they were scared to death because they knew that Israel was coming to conquer the land. We should remember what God has done and recite what God has done. Matthew five sixteen. Is, is, a, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and Jesus said this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's not just a matter of speaking, it's a matter of showing. Showing by the way that we live how great God is and how he works in our hearts and in our lives. He transforms us by the renewing of our minds. And then when that happens, God is glorified and people are challenged. Well, we should remember what God has done. We should recite what God has done. But in verses two through 12 of chapter five, we also need to renew our commitment to God. Uh, verses two to nine talk about circumcision, a surgical procedure uh, that, that was a sign of the covenant that God had with the children of Israel. It started with Abraham and it continued uh, through, through the, um, the rest of the time uh, through the Old Testament. And, and in a sense, what that was, was a symbol of the covenant they had with God, that they were putting off the old and putting on the new. They were stopping living in the world. Instead, they were seeking to live for God 100%. Uh, the, the word Gilgal means rolling, and they were rolling off the past and, and, and embracing the new. In the New Testament, it talked about the fact that circumcision was not just physical, it was spiritual as well. And the emphasis in the New Testament was on spiritual circumcision, our hearts becoming clean, our hearts putting off the old man, putting on the new man. Uh, so there was a renewal of their commitment to God at that time. Do you think God's gonna use unclean vessels to accomplish his will? I've said this before, I'm sure you've heard it before, but some of you have not. Uh, let me ask you a question, which would you choose? Would you rather have a crystal glass that has some dirt and mold and stuff like that in the bottom of it? Or would you rather use to drink a Jif peanut butter jar that's really clean and washed out? 
Let's take a vote. How many of you would rather use the crystal that's sort of moldy and dirty and stuff like that? Just raise your hand. I'm just showing you how to raise your hand. I would not do that. I see that hand. <laughs> okay, there's, a, there's always one. But it, how many of you would rather use the peanut butter jar that's clean? Raise your hand. Would not God rather use people that are clean than use people that are impressive? Makes sense, does it not? That's scriptural. We need to recognize that we should be clean. That means that we need to confess and repent, acknowledge our sin and turn from our sin. We cannot expect God to bless in a significant way if we are not willing to be clean, if we're not willing for God to, to change us, to transform us uh, by the renewing of our mind. So circumcision has to do with, with becoming clean, moving in the direction of becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last thing here in verses 10 through 12 is change. Look at chapter five, verses 10 through 12. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Now, was that a significant change? It was a change for the children of Israel when they first started eating manna. Remember, they went into the wilderness. They did not have enough food. They were hungry. They wanted to go back to Egypt and eat the garlic and leeks. I don't know what leeks are, but that's what it says in the Bible. And things of that nature. Uh, they, they wanted to go back to Egypt and enjoy the food they had, but God gave them manna. Some of them complained, didn't like it, but God gave them manna and for 40 years they had been eating manna. And then what happened is they came into the children, in, into the land of Canaan, God took away the manna. They did not have manna anymore. And I am sure there were some people in the congregation that were thinking, no more manna? That just doesn't make sense. Why in the world would God take away our manna? Why, why is this happening? Well, God had a purpose. God knew what he was doing. He was transitioning them from the manna to the produce of the land, the land flowing with milk and honey, which they had been promised to receive earlier. And it was going to be a blessing for them, but it was a change. How many of you like change? Raise your hand if you really like change. Okay, how many of you like change that you initiate? Okay, most of us like change we initiate. If somebody else initiates it, a lot of times we don't, we don't like change. We are people that are Creatures of habit. Now, COVID messed us up a little bit as far as our seating arrangements. But how many of you, for the most part, sit in the same place just about every week? Raise your hand. Why is that? You're comfortable. You don't like change. But the reality is, I think it's fine for you to sit where, where, where you're seat, seating. I, I can't think of anybody that doesn't need to sit where they're sitting. There are some on the back row that I cannot criticize because before I was a pastor, guess where I sat? On the back row with my grandmother. But the reality is that we're comfortable. We don't like change, but sometimes God brings change into our lives, into our families, into our jobs, into our situations, into our church, because he has a purpose. And we need to recognize that change will come and renew our commitment to God and basically say, God, I want to be clean. I want to live for you. And I recognize 
that there is going to be change. In fact, if we're not totally like Jesus Christ, if there's not change, we're never going to be like Jesus Christ. So there needs to be a willingness to, to experience change. Remember what God has done. God's done some great things, has he not? It's fun to share testimonies, uh, to talk about what has God, God has done during the course of the last year. And it's interesting to me that quite often the people that are going through the most are the ones that are praising the most because they have depended on God and God has blessed them and helped them. We need to recite what God has done. We need to renew our commitment to God and say, God, I want to be clean and I'm willing to change. And then we need to depend on God for three things. W is what? Wisdom, C, courage, and S, strength. We need wisdom to know what to do. We need courage to choose to do it. And then we need strength to do what it takes for the honor and glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll give each one of us wisdom and courage and strength as we face different challenges and decisions in our lives. Help us to be willing to take the next step when it comes to, be, to moving from where we are to where God wants us to be. Help us to be willing to follow you 100%. And Lord, I just thank you for so many in this church that are willing to follow you. I pray that in our everyday life and the big decisions of life as well, that we say to you, Lord, I'm ready. I want to do your will. I want to follow you. I want to be all that you want me to be and do all you want me to do for your honor and glory. Pray if there's someone here that has never said yes to Jesus Christ, that they'll recognize that's their next step to trust Christ as Savior and Lord and receive everlasting life through faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray that we will make progress in the right direction for your honor and for your glory. Lord, please give us wisdom and courage and strength. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.